0: What's up, folks? Welcome back to the Whoop Podcast. I'm your host, Will Ahmed, founder and CEO of Whoop, where we are on a mission to unlock human performance. We got Father's Day right around the corner, and Whoop is here to help you celebrate the important fathers in your life. That's right. Give your dad, husband, or coach the gift of Whoop. And get one month added to your own membership for free. That's right. This is a special promotion for Whoop members. You can head to the Whoop app, tap Gift Whoop, and follow the instructions for the father in your life. Your free month will be added to the end of your current membership date, and you can learn more in the Whoop app. All right. Now, if you're not on Whoop, good news. You can use the code WILLAHMED, W-I-L-L-A-H-M-E-D, to get 15% off a WHOOP membership. WHOOP membership, of course, comes with hardware and software and analytics to help you perform at a higher level, help you improve your health. This week's guest is the talented actress Lena Esco, the co-star of the CBS drama SWAT. I think you'll find Lena to be an extremely honest and forthcoming guest. Finding success in Hollywood is certainly not easy, and she details a lot of her early struggles in life, and in the business she's very forthcoming about drug abuse being a drug addict for four years getting rejected for more roles than you can imagine and i think for anyone who's looking for a bit of inspiration this is a terrific podcast lena also goes deep on mindfulness meditation and breathing techniques and how those have played a huge role in helping her find success and helping her overcome addiction we also discussed the subconscious and how to connect with it, channeling nerves into a positive, what inspired her to pursue acting, why she chooses to do her own stunts, and how she uses WHOOP in her life and why she considers it her best tool while training. Without further ado, here is Lena Esco. Lena, welcome to the WHOOP Podcast.
1: Thank you, Will.
0: So you left home 15 years old to become an actress and it worked out.
1: Well, it's not that easy. It sounds easy, but no, it was it was all kinds of struggles. Ups and downs, grew up really poor. I just had to go. Everything around me reminded me of dreams are not true. Like anything you dream about, it's not going to ever going to happen. So I had to leave. I had to be around the energy of people that believed in what I believed in.
0: H- how did you know that at such a young age? Like who who did you look up to at that point that made you feel that way?
1: I don't think I had any great role models. I think I just wanted to be everything uh, complete opposite of my father. I know that sounds terrible. Uh, we don't talk, but he was just everything I never wanted to be. And so I just knew that I, I love watching movies and diving myself into like this whole reality. And, and I just wanted to be a filmmaker. I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be a producer. I wanted to be an activist. I wanted to get out. I just knew that I couldn't be there around my family.
0: And so, so you leave home, you head out to Hollywood. What, what, what from there? Like, what's the starter kit from there?
1: I mean, it's a, a lot happened. I was a drug addict for a long time. I mean, like four years, I was doing all kinds of things from opiates to heroin to you name it, anything I can get my hands off. Wow. Hands on. Yep. So, yeah. And
0: that, that was at a young age as well.
1: Yeah, like 17 to 19, 2021. 20, I mean, it was just. I lived in LA when I was a kid with my family. I was born in Miami. I lived in LA for like a few years and then we moved back. And then when I was 15, I came back here. You know, you're just you're just trying to get through to wherever you can to survive. You know, you're not, you don't really have like an actual destination in mind. You know, there's a particular feeling you want to feel and achieve certain things and, and be fed as an artist. And so I was just going in that direction and trying to feel that. and. You know, I had kind of a a revelation is that why do, I, why do I want to come back here is that when I was a kid and we came here, we were staying with our cousins or my mom's sisters, and they were doing so much better in life. So when I was in their home, I felt safe. In their home, I felt like we weren't worried about, we were not going to worry about the rent. In their home, I felt like I can sit down like a kid for the first time, eat cereal and watch you know, anything that was interesting, like from TV land watching Gilligan's Island to, you know, cartoons or Disney. So I associated LA at a very young age as a place to feel safe. Huh. And so I just, you know, that was a lot of therapy to come into terms like with that whole connection. My therapist connected that and I was like, holy shit, that's that's what it is. So I always wanted to be here. And I've been here since.
0: So that gave you the courage to really make a home in LA, but obviously it didn't get off on the right foot. If you found yourself kind of down this rabbit hole of, of, uh, drugs,
1: drugs, going to Europe, jumping in on any situation I could to keep moving, you know, staying still in one place was a lot of anxiety. You know, we're, we're always, we're just trying to survive. And I guess I had a lot of anxiety inside me.
0: And what were you doing professionally during that timeframe? Like, were you able to get roles and whatnot? Were there signs at that point that. I so mean, there was just
1: so many doors closing in your face. So many auditions that are just, you're not right for it. You're, you're too raw. You're too this, you know, at the time it was all about the blonde, blue eyed girl. You know, that was, that's where I was at. There was no, so there, you're just constantly questioning yourself. You know, it's those doors closing in your face, really get to you. You start questioning, like what, what's wrong with me? What, what don't I have? And so what really helped to pay the bills because I'm like, I don't want to be, I don't want to end up waitressing and doing that for the rest of my life because I'm, I'm not going to settle. So I started just going out on, um, TV commercial auditions and that's what paid the bills and help, you know, get me through paying gigs um but that's that's a long road it's <laughs> a long road
0: well you strike me as someone that has a lot of courage and i wonder how much of that you how much like when you think about your childhood in that period of like 15 to 22 which sounds like it was a tough time do you look back on that gratefully uh or with gratitude or do you look back on that as like something that you wish was very different
1: yeah it's 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 weird because sometimes i'm like why didn't i have it a little bit easier why did i have to do all these things to feel high and to feel in a way alive to to erase all these things that happen at home that I don't really want to talk about you know um, but i don't regret anything i don't want to try to erase anything either i feel like all of that has molded me into who i am today so i feel like the best thing to do is when i've done therapy I'm, i i've been able to to connect those dots but For many years, you know, we disconnect that so much. And that hard drive that's constantly running our lives tends to show us things. And we're like, wait, why, why did I just react to that? And then you go and you do some work and you realize, holy shit, that's what happened to me when I was 15 or 14 or 18, because you you tend to erase a lot of it because we don't want to live it again. And so that's definitely revealed itself. And I've, I've tried to talk about it with myself.
0: You, You talk about therapy. Is that something that you recommend for people what What makes someone ready to go for into therapy?
1: I think everybody needs therapy i don't I don't care how happy you are, how you know we have we're like a sponge, you know the moment we're born, we're absorbing everything when a baby's two days old and you're fighting in front of the baby. the baby is reacting doesn't know what it is yet, but it's reacting and right. the child can't tell the difference between reality and fantasy up until the age of eight. So they're absorbing everything. If you have the TV on in front of them with violence going on, they're, they're, they're absorbing all of that. And so they're carrying that with themselves all day long. And so that hard drive runs our life. You can tell yourself here and your conscious self all day long. I am this person. I am this person. But if your subconscious doesn't believe it because of, of, of your history, you grew up poor or whatever, you know, you have to really do the work. And, and I love hyp- hypnosis. I love hypnotherapy because I believe that therapy is good, you can talk to somebody, but sometimes it goes out the other ear. But when you're doing hypnotherapy, you have, you have somebody talking to your subconscious and that's where everything's at.
0: So your therapy is primarily hypnotherapy?
1: I love hypnotherapy and I also have just a therapist that I talk to once a month.
0: And those are, like... those are two different people? Yeah. How does hypnotherapy work? I'm very interested in that.
1: Hypnotherapy is you sit down, you talk to somebody you actually trust, like, a th- you know, you do a couple sessions with a, ther- a hypnotherapist and then see if you feel safe with that person because it's all about feeling safe. It's not really going so under that you're just like, oh, make me go and do something. No, you're just in a very deep state. I don't know how many hertz, but in a point where like the more you do it, the the deeper you go. Um, so this particular person that I see I feel very safe with her. So I sit down I talk to her for 20 minutes, what's happening with me. And she's like, okay, let's work on that and that and that. And then I sit in the chair, she puts a little blanket and I lay down and she starts the hypnosis. She'll start talking, breathing, focus on your breathing, focus on that, focus on that. And because her voice is already safe to me, it's soothing to me. I relax. So wh- while I'm in that hip hypno- hypnosis state is when she starts putting the little hints of things, to help with either anxiety, to help with either past trauma or whatever it is. And you do that. And then she'll give you the recording and you, you can do it once a week in your own home or whatever. I don't see her all the time. I tend to see her every three, four, five months.
0: Well, breathing has become a bit of an obsession for me because I got into transcendental meditation about six years ago at a point of real crisis in running a company. I had raised like millions of dollars. I felt like the business was failing. I felt like I was failing as a CEO. I was, you know, 24 years old or so at the time, and so just just learning through my own personal experience of how much breathing can control everything in your world. Mm-hmm. um is is pretty mind blowing. And so whenever people talk about these different types of breathing states, I get very interested in it. And mind you, I haven't actually experimented that far beyond what I do today, but um, I am super curious about it. And it sounds like this is something where breathing actually can take you into a different a different state where you can be influenced by someone else if i'm if I'm not mistaken,
1: yeah, totally. I mean, tm, I've been doing it for fifteen years. Really? I love tm yeah, I learned it. Right off the bat, while I was going through all this stuff, uh, from this guy named Tom Bell, who apparently taught Johnny Cash and uh, Michael Jackson and all these people. But that's the thing. TM is a beautiful, simple, effortless technique for anybody. And uh, sometimes I do it twice a day, but I try not to go a day without it. I do it every morning
0: before I turn my phone on
1: or anything. Yeah,
0: It's been amazing in my life. I can imagine how it's been amazing in your life. I'm curious, as an actress, when you do TM, do you find that when you're when you're wandering off of your mantra, you're mm-hmm. thinking about your character? Because I find that when my mind wanders off of my my mantra, I'm, I'm thinking it, like it'll wander to something very specific within whoop or within a relationship that I need to like you know optimize. And I'm curious where like I remember listening to Kobe Bryant talk about his meditations, and he realized that the moment he should quick quit basketball was when he stopped was when he, he would, he would meditate and all of a sudden he realized he was no longer thinking about basketball. And it was after like some 20 years of his career.
1: There's something so powerful with meditation because you're unplugging from earth where everyone's basically going through recycle ideas of everyone. All of a sudden you're plugging into the ether. And this is what's the beauty about meditating and plugging into that ether and getting access to, you know, shit from out there. And that's what it becomes super exciting because you're, it's basically when you meditate, it's like taking showers of the brain. When your brain is freaking clean, the way you physically shower, there's room for good stuff to come in. And so TM, as you know, gets you to the source of where all thoughts come from. And it, and it builds that muscle for you to control from anything that comes out of there. Like I'm sure you're, trained enough that you can look at a tree and not have one thought pop in your head because you have built that muscle of tm but there is that thing where it's that awareness right you're not your thoughts you're the awareness of your thoughts and when you start to meditate you start becoming aware of that you're like before that you are reacting and getting and having these thoughts run your life totally and these thoughts are feeding off to others and all of a sudden you find yourself for the next you know five hours you've been entertaining bullshit in your head so it's that awareness that it's so important and it's and it's that awareness inside me that goes hey go deeper go do some hypnotherapy or go do some sensory deprivation i'm all into that kind of stuff like how can i become a superhero as fast as i can inside in this video game you know what i mean
0: yeah i mean 100 percent. and your point about i mean it's really being able to see yourself in the third person from time to time i feel like life before tm I was just reacting to things like, and then, you know, you say something or you, you realize you've re- reached an emotional state and it's like, you're recognizing what happened after the fact. Whereas now I actually feel in my life, I, I'll, I'll like almost hear a voice in my head say like, Oh, Will's about to get angry. Or mm-hmm. you know, Will's about to say something rude, or it's like you know, it's like this little mm-hmm. check. It's like looking above at me, and it's so helpful, I have to say. Um, but I, I that
1: awareness that. is yeah. amazing. Like before that, exactly. Like oh, I'm about to jump in on this, and I'm about no, Lena. What are you doing? You're about to get reactionary. Why are you doing that? You're so impulsive. Chill out. Yeah. Oh, when I don't meditate, I'm like I let it. I, I'm I'm just reacting, like you said.
0: The other thing that's interesting at meditation is it feels like, ironically, the the people who are least likely to gravitate to it are the people that need it the most. You know, I I can't believe how many successful people I've met who have confessed that they meditate. And I always, for whatever reason, when I meet like these hard-driving people, in the back of my mind, I I assume they don't meditate, and then oh, they always end up being people who meditate. But it's it's almost like meditation needs a bit of a rebrand because it sounds a little woo-woo. And it's really not, it's really about just like organizing this understanding of yourself.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's essential. Maybe you can be that person that can
0: well, we'll see. I, I will say though that breathing is becoming a big theme for Whoop because we've learned all these different ways how breathing can affect things like your heart rate variability. It can affect the way that you sleep. It can affect your your uh, stress levels throughout the day. We've been able to do studies, uh, Lena, that show that if even just three to five minutes of mindfulness, a, you know, a couple times throughout the day, where you're just doing breathing to yourself, not even meditating, but just like basic breathing mm-hmm. exercises. We've been able to show that people who do that versus who don't have much higher heart rate variabilities, sleep much better. It's fascinating to me that something that you do in the morning could then affect how you sleep, you know, 16 hours later. Right. It's just like the the connectedness of your of your life and your your body and your breathing is really fascinating. And so uh, indeed it's something that we're we're investing in and and we're gonna put more into the whoop product around.
1: Yeah. The, what's the name of the book? The Wim, Wim Hof?
0: Yeah. Wim Hof's fascinating.
1: Wim Hof. So we we were doing, we're doing these Zoom group like this. My Okay. So this girl, Francesca does these, um, based on all Wim Hof uh, breathing techniques, it's 20 minutes of that breathing fast into your stomach, into your chest and out. And you're doing pretty much five songs. That's about 20, 20 minutes. You go breathe. And, 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 you do that for 20 minutes. And what that does is I just started doing it like maybe a year ago. And we just started doing it through zoom.
0: Are you doing the actual Wim Hof method?
1: Uh, it's she's or influenced by him. It's a variation. Of it. it's okay. a variation. I've, and so
0: I've tried that and it's a bit of a cop-out, but I just found I didn't like the way I felt when I was doing it. However, Wim Hof did completely get me into, uh, the cold. I'm a big believer in the cold. I take cold showers at least twice a day. Uh, I'm obsessed with the cold.
1: I know. I love the cold. I want to get a cold plunge. I found this Japanese uh, company that does like these cold plunges. So I might just get one here because I'm all about it because I run a lot. But going back to the breathing, it's funny you said that because I do feel a certain way and I'm like, oh, like I can't let go sometimes, but I've been breathing and doing it for 20 minutes. I get a little impatient. Some people have all these physical reactions, like their hands start to cramp, because it's releasing wherever there's stored energy, right? But what it does, it does, it, it does get into my pineal gland and release that DMT. Because I'm telling you, after I stop breathing for 20 minutes and she's like just lay there, everything becomes colorful, like everything that you felt if you've ever done DMT, dimethyltryptophan. Um everything you, it's definitely heightened um so I've had some interesting i haven't really grasped it all the way, but these breathing things have been like opening up, opening up my pineal gland and and definitely giving me some d m t natural state of mind
0: now now you're referencing hallucinogens as well. are those things that you'll still do today?
1: I haven't done DMT in many years, even though I have the molecule tattooed into my rib cage.
0: Wow. <laughs> I, so I you're, started you're, doing you're it like, a hardcore believer if you've got the molecule. Yeah,
1: I started doing it like 10 years ago.
0: Look at that. Awesome.
1: Uh, but um, I stopped because I just, and then I started smoking my friends out. I was like their little like shaman. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, we were like, oh my God, DMT. We had I just watched the DMT, the uh, spirit molecule documentary and I got really into it.
0: So and explain, then, explain um, to people, what is DMT?
1: That DMT is dimethyltryptophan. It's basically in every living organism. Uh, so people either can smoke it out of a, of a buffetode toad little liquid that comes out of their backs or the bark tree. And so what happens when you smoke it, it releases that same chemical that's already in your pineal gland that happens when you're born and when you die. So when you do have this experience, you... Um, you kind of get to see what happens when you're born and when you die, you go through that tunnel very fast. And all of a sudden you're in the this eternal space of there's no time. And you see, I know this sounds crazy, but everyone sees these floating beings who are obviously said to be light years ahead of us. And when you do DMT and you do it again, like in three weeks, you start off where you finished off. You never see the same journey. And it's about 10 minutes. And they say it's 10, 10 years of therapy in 10 minutes. So when you do do it, you should have an intention. You should be sober for a week and really kind of center in on what is it that you want downloads from. And um, and you do it and you 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 have somebody be there for you because not because it's, it's because it's overwhelming in a way where you feel very blissed out because it's, it's, it's once you get past, once you take the big hit, so you're not in between worlds, you will, you will go through this like tunnel very fast, like very fast. And all of a sudden you're in the space and then you just have to keep breathing. That's why you want somebody there because you get so excited and you're like, Oh my God. And you want to keep your eyes closed. Cause if you open your eyes, you're kind of out of the trip. And so you try to just stay in it. And I've had a lot of different journeys, but it's really interesting because Once you stop that whole week, you're just remembering so much information that happened in that little time. And there's a lot of growth that happens. I mean, it's the main ingredient in ayahuasca.
0: And it's interesting to see how these drugs, medicine, whatever people like to call them over the last, I don't know, 20 years have really evolved. Whereas now you're Mm -hmm. seeing like psilocybin, you know, being approved for, you know, various forms of depression. And so it's, Mm -hmm. it's just interesting to see these things get turned on their head. It'll be interesting to see how how it plays out. You know, as someone yourself who who has used these th- these products, do you see a potential for them around treating depression, around treating anxiety? Do you think that they're risky in that regard?
1: Well, the reason why I wanted to do DMT is because of my fear of death. I, I just cannot snap out of it. You know, like the fear of of you, dying. You really
0: don't want to die.
1: No like yeah, I, remember I really that. don't
0: want to die either actually i'm I'm definitely in that camp, although I don't know if I, that makes me think about death all that much. I just know that I would prefer not to die for a very, very long time,
1: yeah and i and i and i've I've tried to like dmt will show you you know that it never really ends you know you get to get a grasp of like the scary part is that it never ends, you know the mutation of energy mutating and transmutating forever and ever and ever and there's never been a beginning and there'll never be a an end you know and if you get into like the science of energy just is world reality of it but i mean i really want to do ayahuasca but i'm afraid of it because i'm a control freak in that way and going off for eight hours scares me but people that i know that come back from ayahuasca trips they say that their fear of death is gone and so i get i got increments of that through dmt so i'm ready so
0: so it didn't quite cure you of this fear but you feel like it actually helped you
1: It helped because i haven't done dmt in like five years i've I've just kind of stopped um but i do want to do it again because i'm i just i i don't know i I, it's that reality of of i remember as a kid walking past a a cemetery with my dad and my dad and i was like what is that and he said to me oh that's where we end up i think i was like seven or six or five i don't remember And, and that literally when I grasp the reality of what he said, that it all ends, I remember that impact inside me as a child. And it still like haunts me. Like when people say, oh, you know, you know, you get existentialism, you know, after you're 30 and you start, everything starts going by fast. I'm like, things have been going fast for me since I was 15. So this is something I really want to tap into. So when this whole thing is gone, I really want to go and do some ayahuasca in Brazil or somewhere in Hawaii
0: fascinating now now tell me how did you uh how did you come across whoop and how long you've been on it
1: okay so i've been on it since last september september
0: 2019
1: okay uh the cam operator for my show tim dolan who's he was a an athlete in school and he wears his apple watch and this thing this black thing and i'm like what is that and he goes oh this is the best all the top top athletes wear it i'm like okay what is it and he goes, well, it's the best recovery strap I've ever come, come across. And he's always, by the way, he's, he's always carrying the Steadicam op or putting the camera over him, which is, it's a red camera. It's pretty heavy. And he's constantly doing all the work. There's, we usually have four cameras, four cameramen, but he's camera a, he's the main guy right? and he's super athletic and obviously he needs to make sure he's recovering right. And he's working all day long.
0: And, and this and is on, he, this is on SWAT.
1: Yeah. And he was like, he's like, it's the best. I'm like, well, I'm ordering it. And I did. And at the beginning I was like, what is this? And then I, he goes, don't take it off for a week. Just don't touch it. And I'm like, all right. And sure enough, it started getting to know me and, and, and showing me who I was in my recovery and my sleep and everything. And that's when it became to a point where like, it's crazy. My girlfriend goes Every morning you wake up, all you're looking at is that damn phone for the Whoop app. I'm like, yeah, I just want to know how I did. She goes, you don't even talk to me. I'm like, I know, just one second. I have to check how much I slept, how many minutes, how many this, how many that. And she's like, you're obsessed. I'm like, I am. I'm completely
0: obsessed. Well, that's awesome. So obsessed. And and what have you learned about yourself from using the product? You you strike me as someone who's actually really, really self-aware. So I'm, I'm interested in this.
1: I realized that when I don't eat... Maybe when I okay, when I stop eating at 5:30, 6 p.m., I sleep like a baby. My HRV is higher and my REM is higher. If I'm eating a little bit later, that starts to affect it completely, right? I'm the
0: the same way. And this is one of those things that is personal. Like generally speaking, the more you can the the further from bedtime you can eat, the better. Mm
1: -hmm. But
0: it's interesting. Some people can eat two hours before bed, even an hour before bed, and it doesn't affect them that much. I've noticed in my data personally, similar to what you described, the more time, the better.
1: Yeah. And, um, okay. So the exercise aspect of it, I love it because I've become a really good runner. I mean, an okay runner in terms of long distance running. So once we went on lockdown, I had nowhere else. I couldn't go to a gym. I couldn't go anywhere. So I started running outside and now I just, I run every other day or sometimes every day, eight miles, seven miles, and whoop is, is the best buddy (laughs) to, to be next to me throughout this whole thing. And, and, and challenging myself. I'm like, Oh, I did this yesterday. Oh, I was, I was doing this and that. Oh my God. what What happened right here? I slept better here. I didn't recover here. And it's, it's been like, it's been my partner in crime through COVID. My trainer also has whoop because of me and he loves it. I mean, we have our own little group there. I'm like, be like, oh, you worked out more than me. I mean, it's just so. I mean, I have so many friends on it that it's 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 fun. I mean, that's we talk whoop dial whoop language.
0: Well, it's amazing to hear that, and I'm so glad you've gotten uh, you've gotten value out of out of the product. What what is a what does a routine look like for you on a day that you're shooting? Have you already memorized all of your lines, like? the night before weeks before are you just reading through it that morning and you just can immediately remember them like i'm curious we, how that works
1: we shoot episodes every 9 days they give us the scripts usually a few weeks before so uh, if i have thick like paragraphs and stuff like that i'll 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 need 3 days not 3 days just to sleep on them i can literally go for a run and just have that whole monologue memorized like in an hour like just like that so you- i have to be moving
0: So you'll, that's really interesting. So you'll read the thing and then you'll, you'll exercise and you'll be playing it back in your head while you're doing that.
1: Yes. I I have to learn lines moving. I have a, a treadmill in my mini gym in my garage, not because I like running on it. It's because if I have a lot of dialogue, the quickest way for my body to absorb it instantly, because as we, we all know, we have brain cells all over our body. The physicalization of, of that, it creates all these memories around you and I can memorize very quickly, like super fast. Like if you give me a monologue, a whole page monologue, I just go in that treadmill for or go on a run for about 45 minutes to an hour and I memorize If I'm sitting here, I can.
0: So you're not actually looking at it though while you're memorizing it, you just read it once and then it's it's kind of playing while you're exercising, or you'll be on the treadmill reading it while you're running.
1: Yeah. So I'll read the first two sentences. Couple times, and then I'll put it away, and I'll just start running with those two sentences until I have that, and then I add another sentence and another, and all of a sudden, I know the entire monologue.
0: And did anyone teach you any of that, or you just learned it?
1: I learned it because in school it was the same thing. I couldn't retain somebody that makes me sit down and learn. I can't retain. My brain goes somewhere else. I was diagnosed with ADHD at a very young age, and then it just it was like a friend of mine told me i think he was high on acid when he said this to me he goes nowadays if you don't have nowadays if you don't have ADD or ADHD you're not paying attention there's so much coming at us you have to have that in order to keep up with technology and the world that we're living in today and so that's what it was like i realized i can't sit down and learn my lines i can't retain anything but if i'm moving if i'm physicalizing myself and doing stuff i can retain like crazy it's so crazy so i realized I wish somebody taught me school like that.
0: That's a really interesting insight. And and it sounds like you don't ever memorize through the act of meditating.
1: Well, my memory is really good because of meditation, for sure. Meditation um and also what I do take, these are like little things. I took I take L-theanine the night before every night before I have long dialogue scenes because when you're acting
0: And sir, what is that?
1: L-theanine. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's a natural, you know, pills that you can get at Whole Foods or anything. It basically slows down in a way, obsessive thinking. Hmm. So it won't knock you out to sleep. You can do it before you you can take it during the day and you feel your brain relax. It doesn't make you tired. It just relaxes your brain from obsessive thinking. And so I like to take L-theanine the night before I take like two of them. Because the next day I find myself and I've tested my brain many times. I love cognitives and all kinds of things. And so I tested my brain and I realized I work better the next day because when there's so much dialogue and you're going back and forth between actors, sometimes you can get in your head about your lines. Sometimes you cannot just relax in that moment and let them say what they're saying without you wanting to say something back because you've memorized it so many times. It allows for you to listen and really listen and just take your time and saying it back without saying, oh, I got to say this line out right now or I'm going to forget it.
0: Yeah, that's so true, right? I can only imagine you have to have that, that flow state of, of mm-hmm. to do it properly. How have you tested yourself cognitively?
1: I mean, I love taking all kinds of things. Um, I take NADH, which I love. I take that before working out. I love taking NAC, N-A-C, the glutathione one. Um, cognitive I've taken a lot of paracetam, which connects all your neurotransmitters in your left and your right side of the brain. I just love when your brain just is your bitch, <laughs> not <laughs> now, all the way around,
0: <laughs> but you never got into the drugs for ADHD, Adderall, et cetera.
1: Well, I think because I was so speedy back then and so out of place is why I did heroin at such a young age and opiates and weed yeah. and everything. Um, I think that's what it was. I wanted that slowness. I wanted to slow down. I didn't know how to, you know, mm-hmm. if I slow down, it meant nothing in my life was ever going to happen. Right. I came from wanting to be everything the opposite of my what my father was, I guess.
0: Now you strike me as a, like a creative light bulb on a set. Are you someone who finds you have to kind of like restrain from all your opinions as this thing unfolds? Yeah. Or- I'm picturing someone saying like, uh, Lena, you're going to come in there to, and you're like, well, what, what if I came in from over there? I mean, I, you know, I could come in this way.
1: Absolutely. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. And usually not usually like a lot of the times they'll be like, okay, because they don't, they haven't put that much thought into the characters as much as we are. We, we live and breathe these characters every day, you know, just cause you wrote it or just cause you're directing it and you're a new director coming in here. It doesn't mean like, I don't think I would do that. Or like, I'd be like, wait, am I, are you lighting me right here? They're like, yeah, yeah, we got you. We got you. I'm like, I don't feel that. So I'll look and I'm like, no, I'm obsessed with lighting. So, you know, that's where I get very, very talkative about lighting with me because I'm the one that has to look at myself out there. It's not them. And so I'm very particular about that.
0: And will you give other actors feedback or encourage them to give you feedback or do you just typically let that come from the director?
1: Yeah, I don't get involved. I mean, usually if something moves me, I'm going to be like, holy shit, that was amazing. That was beautiful. Or like,
0: wow. So you say like, wow, nice job there.
1: Yeah. Like if something moves me for sure. And if I see somebody struggling, I will do everything in my power to to make it easier for them. If it's a guest star coming in for the day or somebody new that doesn't feel safe, it's it's always so important to be so warm and open and, and try to make it easier because I've been there so many times going and being a guest star in some show or being like, you know, two day actor in some movie. And, you know, it's like everyone has their own family and their own thing. And it's just the worst feeling like, you know, you're already nervous. You don't want to fuck up, you know? And like, so you always want to be warm with everybody. And yeah.
0: At this point, are you so used to having a camera on you that like the, the whoop strain, so to speak of, you know, playing your characters the same as you being on this podcast right now is the same as you sitting on a dining room table? Or do do you feel like, will you feel yourself a little amped up when you're playing your character? Like, do you still feel sort of the nerves of it?
1: Sometimes. I mean, if I have emotional scenes, I'm definitely very vulnerable. So I usually ask them to keep the the set quiet uh, because I'm kind of hanging by a thread in terms of like feeling a certain way. And I know that if I hang on to that and like, I'll be able to deliver in that scene. But if, if people are joking around and while I'm like in a very different state that I have to go and cry in a scene, then yeah, I I ask for that space and I'm definitely nervous and I'm definitely feeling all kinds of things, but kind of like the day-to-day thing that we're doing. Um, if there's some stunts where I'm doing stunts, I'm definitely nervous. But that, that, that's what gets me excited, that fear of like, oh, but then I, I'll like, you know, when, when you're nervous, you're, you go, I don't know about you, but like when I'm nervous in meetings and stuff, like that actually helps me, pulls me out.
0: I, I've talked to a ton of performers from athletes to executives to, to people like you who, who, who often cite that if you're not nervous, it doesn't matter. And in some ways, you know, it feels like the nerves can actually focus you. Totally, and, and may, like obviously, too nervous is bad. But yeah. just the right amount of nervous makes you a little sharper. I think actually,
1: absolutely, absolutely.
0: What are the hardest scenes? The is it is it the emotional ones where you're crying? Is it like the intimate ones where you have to you know hook up with someone on set? Is, like what 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 is it that you find the most nerve wracking? I
1: mean, I think they're all nerve wracking. I did a show called Kingdom that's on, now on Netflix about MMA fighting. Um, and I had a lot of sex scenes with Jonathan Tucker. He's amazing in this, um, show. Um, and we, we had to do a lot of sex scenes and it was, yeah, it's, but it made it, it was so much easier when you connect with somebody and that person makes you feel safe and you guys have a chemistry and it just, we're in it together. We're all going to look so goofy, him walking around with, you know, a sock in his dick or like, you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) you know, like me wearing like a, like a pad down here, like, and everything else looks like I'm naked. It's just like weird, but you, you make fun of it and you have a good time. Like, I don't know if you saw that movie love actually.
0: Yeah, I did.
1: The, 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 the stand-ins for the sex scene and that yeah movie, yeah that's I mean. a great
0: scene yeah yeah you just and he's joke like about asking it. her he's asking her out while he's like meeting yeah. her for the first time while he's holding her boobs or something
1: exactly and that's how it is i'll be like i I, t- I remember telling jonathan because he was like so-called fucking me i mean yeah. can we curse on this yeah. yeah
0: yeah yeah you're fine
1: And my (laughs) boobs were just kept going on like that. I'm like, Mike just just kept going up and down. I'm like, that's not going to look good on camera. I need you to hold them. He goes, okay. (laughs) Like, that's how it becomes. We start talking like that. It just becomes like just normal. And that's what, but you're still nervous.
0: Now, what made you want to do your own stunts? Is that just your personality from day one? Or did you kind of ease your way into that?
1: I love it. I've been boxing for 10 years and I'm not the best boxer. I won't, get in the ring and really get hit. Sure. Um, but I love training and, and sparring, but, um, I think the challenge, I want to be able to do as many as my stunts as possible. I want to be able to make it as real as possible. I want to be able to feel like I can do any of it. Um, obviously you're always going to have a stunt double and these people are, are heroes. They're incredible. So you would shoot your take your way of You train, you, you rehearse a lot, these fight sequences. I've done a few, uh, and your stunt doubles there with you, um, you know, making sure you look good and the things that are super risky that for example, Sony won't cover. Like if I get hurt, they'll do. Um, What what would be
0: an example of something like that? That's like too risky.
1: Like they had a, a thing where I was having this whole fight at the top of the stairs. And then I, then I get punched and I roll down the stairs that rolling down the stairs. They they would never let me do that. Um, and so the stunt double would do that. Uh, and also like jumping off a building. There's certain things that they won't allow me to do.
0: Do you think it's crazy that a guy like Tom Cruise is doing a lot of these stunts? Do you think that's overplayed? Or like, I remember seeing a video and I don't know if this is just great PR, but I saw a video of him for Mission Impossible, like jumping from one building to the other. And he like apparently broke his ankle or something doing that. Is that crazy? Is that all made up? Like, how should I react to that?
1: I've heard that he does, he does a lot of his stunts, but not all his stunts. And he makes it seem like he does all of his stunts. That's what I've heard in the whole stunt world. Um, I think for him, he just wants to feel proud of himself. I feel like he wants to be part of every aspect of it. I think that's what I feel from him because I can feel when there's a stunt happening, I get super excited. I'm like, well, why can't we make it longer? Why can't I, I just want to be challenged. There's nothing better than being challenged and and look and, and just do these fight sequences flawless. And you want to rehearse for hours and hours until you get it. And you don't care if the best part about shooting, uh, fight sequences the next day, I don't know what it is. I'm bruised up. I can barely walk, uh, wow. my whole body sore, but I love it. It's just an adrenaline. You know how it is. Just love it. I don't know why you like being banged up and, but it's a dance, you know, you make eye contact with the other person to avoid any accidents any wrong moves and you're dancing together and you're getting through it together and it's and it's quite incredible especially when when you're working with incredible stunt teams
0: do you think you represent like a like a braver new wave of actresses you know to your point about what hollywood looked like 15 years ago I'm trying to think of what the analog is of what you're describing. Like who, who would have been women doing things that you're describing 20 years ago that enjoyed waking up bruised from a, you know, a stunt scene where they're also the co-lead on the show. Like, does that seem like something that's maybe more prevalent now than it was, I don't know, two decades ago.
1: I don't know. Maybe I'm sure there's been women. No, I think I'm sure there's been women from then feeling and, being the way I feel, but they just didn't have the stage for that. You know? Uh movies were focusing on different female stories. Shows were diff- focusing on different female stories. Uh, so I feel like now it's now it's a little bit more open, it's more welcomed, I guess, or giving women roles that are the same as they would give to men. So um it's definitely changed, but I feel like there's been women out there doing cooler shit than me and set better things than me, but they just didn't have the platform.
0: So uh, what's next for you?
1: We've launched a campaign, the human campaign a couple of years ago with my partner, Joanna Masca, who was the bipartisan campaign. She was the uh, director of press advance for president Obama. And, um, and so we've been trying to get the equal rights amendment in the constitution. It's just an, uh, an amendment that's been trying to get into the constitution since 1923 by Alice Paul. So we're trying to bring it in to light. It tried to pass in 72, but, uh, it died in 82. Just all this story behind it. So we're trying to bring it into the constitution. So that's one thing. And then I'm, I'm writing a couple things, two shows and, uh, trying to, uh, knock on doors again and, and put myself out there and, uh, be okay with a hundred million nos. I've already gotten 20 nos on this project that I'm working on right now. They're like, this will never get through with the me too movement. I'm like, Whatever, I'm like I can't tell you what it is, but I'm like whatever. I'm a woman.
0: You know, George Lucas's Star Wars got rejected like 152 times. I read.
1: Well, there you go. not
0: I mean, that amazing? That makes
1: me feel so good because they, when something great comes out, everyone's like, "Oh my god!" But then, like, where are these idiots that said no? And they're like, "This will never get made." What are you crazy? Like, shut up! You guys are blockers. Shut up. Like you want incredible shit, but the people that are doing good stuff and they're putting it in front of you, you think they're crazy.
0: Do you worry so- about the the future of of smaller budget independent films? You know, I, I I've been reading a lot about sort of the shifting landscape of Hollywood in general and sort of this need for big blockbuster hits and these big studio hits and and sort of like this gap that's emerging. Of a, a sort of mid level budget or lower budget films.
1: Well, there was that whole talk maybe 10, 15 years ago when Marvel and DC Comics started coming up and the whole micro budget sector of films started kind of dying, you know, and yeah. you had all these three, $400 million movies, $200 million movies becoming the center of, of everything. And then you would get s- small amount of movies that were, you know, in the two, five, 15, 20 million range for the academies, you know, for the nomination times, you know, like in, in November, December, you know, that kind of stuff. But I feel like now post COVID, that whole world of DC and Marvel is great. It brings happiness into people. And that's awesome. But now because of COVID, you can make all these little movies anywhere. And it's safer for a lot of people to go, oh, here, I have this story. Okay, this is a beautiful story. It's It's better to go and send out a crew, a smaller crew to go and shoot this movie, you know, for five weeks, you know, in Palm Springs or, you know, somewhere. And people are hungry for these stories, these connecting stories. Um, And so I feel like maybe before COVID, we were kind of losing that, but I feel like it's now they want to be having these little movies that are, are still have a whole lot of heart that people need right now. They
0: need hope. That's great. And by the way, I don't think there's ever been a better time to be, uh, to be an actor an actress. It seems like, I mean, the, there's so many different studios and, um, Netflix, whatever competing for content. Isn't that right?
1: Yeah. It's a wonderful time to be an actor. I mean, uh, it's, if it, there's so many outlets, there's so much good stuff out there. I mean, we used to make fun of Netflix, like, Whoa, they have so much, they keep putting so much out. It's so much saturation. But guess what? They've been ahead of the curve putting stuff out throughout this because we're eating it all up so quickly that the only outlet that is keeping up with our our appetite is Netflix. Now, you know, you have to have all these other outlets and understand like holy shit, we can't stop. We can't just get so select like there's so much incredible untouched talent out there. So many great writers and filmmakers. I mean, this is the time to yes, maybe take risk with smaller budget stuff, but There's so much. I mean, look at Netflix every week. I'm like, how do they have time for this? You know why? Because they were constantly saying, green lighting, great stuff. Go, 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 shoot, 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 shoot. I mean, every, every week I'm like finding out new stuff on Netflix. Other places I'm like, oh, same thing.
0: Yeah, it's uh, Netflix is an amazing story. Mark Randolph, uh, one of the co-founders, is actually an investor in Whoop and a friend. He's been on the Whoop podcast too, uh, and so I've gotten to hear a little bit of the behind the scenes on that that company. It's um, it's amazing what they've built, and and again, a lot of it goes back to that kind of contrarian mindset of of doing things at a time when other people thought they were crazy.
1: I mean, I remember getting that DVD in my in my home like back in the days. You know, yeah. like how far they've come.
0: Well, it's uh, it's been a pleasure spending time with you, Lena, And I hope we get to meet in person someday. And uh, thank you.
1: Thank you so much. I hope so, too. Take care. Be safe.
0: Thank you to Lena for coming on the Whoop podcast. You can check out SWAT on CBS. A reminder, you can use the code Will Ahmed, W-I-L-L-A-H-M-E-D, to get 15% off a Whoop membership. Check us out on social at Whoop, at Will Ahmed and stay healthy folks, stay in the green.